Established in 2014, the New Development Bank was set up by China and the four other BRICS countries to finance infrastructure and sustainable development projects in the BRICS and other emerging economies. The NDB supports public and private projects through loans, guarantees, equity participation and other financial instruments. As of July 2020, the NDB has approved loans of 18.6 billion US dollars. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law and Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part special looking at the work of two leading in-house counsel in China who have been influential in helping their organizations navigate a fairly historic and unprecedented past year. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to the previous episode with Myra Gao, head of legal at Danfoss China. With me today is Abhiman Yugosh, senior counsel at the New Development Bank based in the bank's headquarters in Shanghai. The in-house legal team at the NDB was the winner of the in-house team of the year international at the recent 2020 China Law and Practice Awards. In this episode, Abby and I discuss his role at the bank, the bank's rapid response to COVID-19, the environmental and social standards part of their loan agreements, as well as how working for a multilateral development bank is different from working for a law firm. Abby, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you very much for, for having me here on behalf of the legal division of NDB. And um, and thank you to CLPA for this award and this recognition. It uh, means a lot to the bank as well as to the team. So can you start by telling us, generally speaking, what the NDB does and what your role as senior counsel involves? Sure. So as you know, just, just to give a very brief background of uh, the new development bank, NDB is a multilateral development bank uh, which has been formed uh, by the BRICS countries, which includes Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And uh, it's it's been formed as a multilateral bank to finance sustainable development and infrastructure projects in these countries. Uh, one of the stated objectives of, uh, or the strategies of the bank, so to say, is that while there are multiple other multilateral development banks out there, namely you know, the World Banks and the Asian Development Banks, etc. of the world. Uh, this was created with one of the stated object- objectives was, you know, we would be leaner, we would be faster, uh, and we would sort of, uh, you know, we would reduce bureaucracy. So keeping that in mind, I think um, our legal division itself is very reflective of that. We have uh, different designations within the legal team. Um, and the legal team is headed uh, by our general counsel, uh, Mr. Sergei Kuznetsov. Uh, many other multilateral banks uh, also have uh, very strict silos or subdivisions um, within the legal division. Uh, we have uh, we have that somewhat, but it's very fluid in many ways. So I get to work, for example, both on transactional matters, which is our core lending activities. Uh, but also I get to work on a lot of institutional matters, which includes interpretation of our charter documents, interpretation of our policies, drafting of our policies, uh, you know, procurement-related uh, legal issues, etc. As a senior counsel specifically, uh, along you know, with the leadership uh, of our general counsel, we tend to generally uh, lead uh, all our, uh, you know, our transactional matters. Uh, so we work with other lawyers in the team as well as external counsels, um, and we take the lead in negotiation both internally with other divisions within the bank and externally uh, with our counterparties. 
uh, we also take the lead of you know generally being in charge of our transactions uh, from uh, a legal standpoint apart from that we we attend and speak at various international conferences uh, on topics that are relevant to ndb and one of the goals or targets of the ndb is to approve loans within 6 months is that correct that's that's absolutely correct that's one of the strategies within the bank to 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 approve it within the period of 6 months from conception to uh, the delivery or the signing of the loan document so that's a very very tight timeline in the best of circumstances and in the multilateral world um, that's even faster so you know there are sometimes we do it much faster there are some cases which are even more complex so that takes a little longer but our aim is always to work within the 6 month time frame and as you know uh, legal has to play a very critical role in this to speed things up uh, and we try and do that uh, for the bank okay so how big is the legal team exactly so our legal team right now consists of 10 lawyers including our general counsel uh, the way we split it right now is we have two lawyers from each of our five member countries um, we may be expanding in the near future but that's how it is and compared to the overall sort of strength of the bank right now uh, which is aimed to be around 200 by the end of this year that's 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 a fairly large division within the bank and you yourself you're from india that's right i'm from india so do you focus typically then on investment and financing for projects in india or do you get involved in the ndb's loans to, um for projects in other countries as well no i think uh, i think that's the beauty of of working uh, in an organization Uh, like ndb and that's really one of the reasons what attracted me to work at ndb because you know having been working in the indian market uh, for uh, 10 plus years having been a partner uh, at one of the top law firms in india uh, this was a change that i was looking forward to uh, so initially uh, the way we started off was that you know we we would tend to work more on transactions uh, within our home countries Uh, but as uh, our bank has grown as our division has grown uh, now we get to work on all jurisdictions at the moment for example um, i'm working on multiple transactions in russia i'm working uh, for a financing transaction uh, in brazil um, uh, i'm working i've just completed uh, a transaction in south africa so um, and of course there are indian transactions which are there as well so so it's a, it's a, it's a good mix and uh, that's that's one of the great things about working in ndb that we get to work on 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 different you know national transactions what we typically tend to do is in each of our transactions say if it's an indian transaction there will be at least one indian lawyer in board and the other one will be from some other country and that's how we work for for all our uh, transactions right now so i'm curious to know why the bank has a strategy of keeping most of its legal work in house um instead of bringing external lawyers uh, on the ground depending on where a project is um you'd think that that would make more sense for a multilateral organization like the ndb that gets involved in projects around the world so uh, so so yes and no of course it puts a it puts a fair bit of you know work to be done for us but i think that's one of the differentiators uh, between ndb and some of the other sort of in house uh roles that are out there is of course when you're working in other jurisdictions you have to be cognizant of some of the local laws that are there there are some language challenges for example those kind of things are of course something which uh we also grapple with but it's also interesting to do uh you know a, a renewable energy project in south africa 
uh, sort of learning, uh, you know, some bits of their regulations. We, of course, rely a lot on the local lawyer who, who's on board uh, for him or her to give their expertise. We also, while we tend to take in a lot of work uh, for ourselves as an in-house team, uh, most of our non-sovereign transactions are governed by English law. So we have to take, um, you know, closing opinions from external counsels for specific uh, you know, uh, regulational aspects. For example, we also conduct legal due diligences, etc., which is also done by local council. So, uh, so we do a mix and match, and it depends really on the complexity of the deal. Uh, but I think it only adds to uh, the fun and the challenge of being a lawyer because you're you're doing multiple things. As long as, as I think your your sort of uh, core basics are all right, you're able to manage in different countries. You're able to pinpoint if there's a legal issue here or not. Uh, and like I said, uh, when most of the things are, our sovereign loans are governed by public international law and our uh, non-sovereign loans are governed by English law, all our documents are in English. So that tends to help. And the more and more, you know, by the time you do your fifth Russian transaction, you sort of start getting a hang of it. Uh, and, you know, we, of course, like I said, we rely on our uh, local lawyers within the division uh, and they do some of the heavy lifting and help the others to sort out the legal risks as well. So that always helps. And I recall reading your submission uh, for the award um, and reading about how the legal division at the NDB is kind of like the, quote, conscience keepers for the NDB. So can you tell us more about that? How exactly do you maintain the NDB's conscience? I think that's a, that's a very, very high standard for for us. And this is something which you've <laughs> sort of taken it upon ourselves. Um, having said all of that, NDB, uh, again, like uh, like other multilateral development banks and other international organizations, we have immunities and privileges which apply to us, uh, including for judicial processes. So while, for example, while we may be based in China, um, the, the laws that we are supposed to ascribe to are actually our charter or articles of agree, uh, agreement, uh, which is there. Unless we waive off certain aspects, like, for example, our bond issuances, our lending, then we have to sort of adhere to a country's laws. Otherwise, uh, we are sacrosanct uh, and we are immune from other judicial processes as well. So therefore, a lot of uh, responsibility comes on to the legal division because uh, we really are the uh, sort of interpreters of the articles of agreement, which is there, is our constitution or a mother document, which uh, uh, which is the most important for us. Um, uh, we have to ensure that uh, the legal aspects of the AOA, the legal aspects of our policies, etc., are all maintained uh, when there is a, a sort of an HR issue that has to be as per the policy of the bank as well as the uh, you know AOA again. So those kind of things we have to ensure are being maintained. So even when we are we are not ascribing to a country's laws, we have you know a very strict, uh, detailed process which is there uh, within the bank. We also have a very detailed and robust uh, set of legal guidelines, which while we are the sort of uh, you know the ones who maintain it, uh, every other division also has to ascribe to whatever's provided for in the legal guidelines. So that's something which, which we keep, uh, which we are refining even right now. 
so we maintain you know these are the ways that you can maintain the legal risk and these are the times when you have to come to the legal division and we will sort of ensure that bank is protected from all legal perspective uh, which is there and that also is important when we sort of operate in different countries now we have uh, apart from our headquarters in china we have uh, three regional offices in south africa brazil and russia uh, and one opening up in india soon so we also have to adhere that our regional offices are also are within the legal ambit of ndb as well as when required uh, of the local jurisdiction so i guess then what that means is that Chinese laws and regulations do not play a big role in your work um even though your headquarters is in Shanghai. That is right. In many ways uh that is right. While we are based in China, uh we as I said we are bound by uh, the articles of agreement of NDB which has been signed uh, by the government of China as well as the four other member countries and they gave us uh, various privileges and immunities including as I said immunities from our judicial processes. within uh, say china however having said that when we enter into when we finance transactions or when we enter into borrowing transactions we enter into bond transactions then we have to adhere for example our panda bond issuances in china uh, is governed by prc law uh, so we have to adhere to those aspects there um, we are moving into our new offices in september of 2021 so for a new office we have to of course ascribe to uh, you know the permits and licenses and clearances which are required under chinese law but generally yes we are uh, because of our immunities and privileges so let's talk about that panda bond issuance which happened in april and it was a 5 billion rmb um coronavirus combating of bonds uh, issued in the china interbank bond market um and it was the first of its kind uh, first panda bonds com- combating coronavirus um issued by an international financial organization um so i imagine that must have been a very exciting and frenetic time at the ndb you know given what was happening and you know just the urgency of you know the need for for increased financing sources yes i think of course our our, our legal division was involved uh in the panda bond process having said that of course in in this sort of a situation Uh, and in any other times of crisis it's multilateral development banks who have to step up um, and play a, a sort of a massive role uh, in a time of crisis like this um, and that is exactly what ndb also has been doing uh, during this entire phase the first we've committed to uh, providing up to usd 10 billion dollars of uh, crisis related assistance to our member countries um china was the first one to avail of an emergency loan i think it was in april 2020 uh, which was of rmb 7 billion uh, thereafter we've given uh, usd 1 billion loans to india uh, brazil and south africa uh, we are following up on that further right now and as we speak uh, you know we are in the process of again uh, possibly giving out uh, some more financial assistance to our member countries for this because of covid-19 uh, we've had to really step up uh, and not only have we provided loans but we've also disbursed most of the we've given 4 billion dollar worth of loans i think about 3 billion has already been disbursed out of that right now and by the end of the year we should be entering into further financial assistance programs uh, for the remaining sort of 10 billion financial assistance that is left so this has been a very um, busy and critical year for for ndb 
especially because of the impact of covid-19 and the assistance that we've had to we've had to give and uh, legal has played uh, you know we had to we had to sort of have a new emergency loans policy specifically which was done for the covid-19 pandemic and how to deal with it and the kind of financial assistance which will be given for that and uh, legal played a big role in in shaping that as well as you know drafting and negotiation of these financial assistance programs that we have given to our member countries so i want to ask about environmental and social sustainability which is something that has been uh, integral to the bank's mission uh, from its conception i was and i was wondering how the legal team at the ndb helps the bank ensure its clients and the projects it finances are maintain uh, high environmental and social sustainability standards so again as a multilateral bank uh, and and this is true for all multilateral banks uh, we generally put in a lot of stringent requirements especially in terms of environment and procurement but one of the unique features and one of the new features of the of the new development bank is that ndb adopts country systems and it recognizes that its member countries are capable of setting up their own regulations and where necessary ndb works with its member countries to strengthen the systems so essentially what it does is of course while we have uh, sort of an ens policy a procurement policy we absolutely recognize uh, our member countries laws and regulations and we generally require our sort of borrowers to adhere to the member countries uh, laws and regulations in relation to either environment or procurement um that's the standard uh, we generally set uh, in in our documentation and how we put it uh, how we deal with it legally is of course we uh, generally we have a due diligence process as well where if there are any environmental or other issues um those are picked up uh, and then what we do is we we put in adequate representations and covenants and, and other sort of uh, legal Uh, drafting in our loan documents to ensure that our standards uh, are are met um, and it's not diluted in any way and we put in the consequences of those as well uh, but like i said one of the things is that we sort of respect the country systems of our member countries and we ask them to so adhere to those and we also have a fairly strict monitoring process where we ensure uh, that our monitoring team uh, is able to inspect is able to get adequate reports and ensure that uh, you know the documents the the provisions that we actually put in the documents are being met uh, practically and in reality so does this mean that you're shifting the burden of compliance um, with ens laws and regulations to the client we are not sh- yeah, uh, we are shifting the burden in the sense if you look at other uh, uh, you know uh, various other multilateral banks uh, which are there they have very sort of set of policy and rules uh, especially in relation to environmental standards uh, procurement standards etc um, and those are typically uh, are at the much higher threshold than what uh, emerging uh, developing countries uh, would have in their own systems so essentially uh, when uh, when a sort of multilateral bank lends to these borrowers uh, the requirement or the ask of the borrowers that look uh, while under your national systems while under your national and state laws you are only required to do this we would require you to go above and beyond and reach a higher threshold or a standard because that's what we would like you to meet and that is something which is then 
used sort of uniformly across uh, the hundred odd members of that uh, multinational bank. Uh, what NDB does differently is that uh, we 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 understand and respect that each of our countries, especially emerging countries, will have different requirements, needs, and it may not always be possible to meet. Uh, a higher threshold than what is already prescribed under a country's laws. So when we say we 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 recognize country systems and we say that look, if your country requires you to do X amount of things, NDB will also respect that and ask you to do X amount of things and not ask you to do X plus five things. Okay, so finally, what would you say is the biggest challenge in, um, and the biggest advantage uh, of working for a multilateral development bank like the NDB? I think challenges, of course, uh, like I mentioned, it's um, because of the unique nature of the organization itself. Uh, you typically have to, and especially if you're coming from a non international organization, non-MEB world, um, you are sort of exposed to this entirely new structure and this entirely new animal, uh, which, like I said, our articles of agreement is our mother document. We have to adhere to that uh, and sort of uh, that's that's the main sort of uh, document for us. So it takes some getting used to and also ensuring, I think it's very challenging that we ensure that our privileges and immunities are constantly being maintained. The interesting bit is that, you know, we are working, uh, like I said, uh, we get to work on uh, different countries, you know, transactions, learn about those projects, etc. One is that, but the other uh, very interesting bit is working uh, within the institutional framework and working on, you know, for example, uh, working on when we are having our regional offices, we get to work. Uh, with the governments of those countries, get to negotiate directly with the governments of those countries and, uh, you know, flesh out a document with them, uh, which happens at a really high ministerial level, which would not have happened um, in normal circumstances, uh, say, in, in private practice. And, you know, you get to do both your, what you would call a, a more typical financing sort of lawyer role, as well as you get to work on this other side where you're working on a whole host of institutional matters, uh, dealing with high government officials, which I think uh, personally is superb and really shapes, shapes you as a, as a lawyer and makes you learn new things, uh, which is always great. Great. Well, Abhi, thanks for joining me today. Most welcome. Most welcome, Vincent. Thank you very much for having me here. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, ChinaLawAndPractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest Chinese legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. We'll be back next week to discuss China's new personal information protection law draft. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening.